Lovely. How's everyone doing this morning? Wonderful. I'm excited. Uh, I need lots of help uh, this morning, and so if you would, uh, please bow with me for a word of prayer. I want you to take a moment, if you would, and you pray for you. You know you better than I know you, and so you know what you stand in need of, at least in part, uh, today. And so please take a moment and just pray for yourself, if you would. And if you would be so kind, would you uh, pray for me that my words this morning might be helpful uh, to you as we uh, seek to look to Jesus as our source of hope and life. Father God, we thank you so much for your living and active word. Thank you that we have an opportunity to open it together this morning and to learn from you and to be changed by you. Uh, Lord, we admit that the kind of change that we want to see take place in our own lives and in the lives of those that we know and love uh, cannot be done apart from uh, your good work in us uh, by your Spirit. And so we pray now that your Spirit uh, might come and change us from the inside out. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you so much that uh, we are loved by you. Uh, We commit this time to you this morning and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, When Jesus came some 2,000 years ago, he did uh, come announcing the kingdom of God. The kingdom was a theme that you read, uh, particularly throughout the Gospels, but especially in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom. He said that the kingdom uh, had come. Uh, He said that the kingdom is at hand. Uh, The kingdom is near. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but when we started our series in the Sermon on the Mount last year, that was a long time ago, I know, uh, but we said that God's kingdom was God's rule uh, in God's place amongst uh, God's people, right? God's rule in God's people in God's place. The kingdom of God that Jesus uh, came to usher in uh, was different. It was counter-cultural. It was a a unique way of living uh, in the world. Jesus' people uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, because of their coming king, uh, lived different lives. Uh, People noticed them. They were aliens in a land that was not their own. They were against the grain kind of people. They were not downstream drifters uh, in culture, but they were upstream swimmers. Some uh, might even accuse them of being weird because they stood out in the culture. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is painting a picture for life in the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus had said that the kingdom had come, and then the Sermon on the Mount is painting a picture of what does it look like to follow Jesus, to align your life with Him in such a way that people notice. On one hand, the Sermon on the Mount served as a picture painted for people to see what it looked like to follow Jesus. 
And on the other hand, the Sermon on the Mount raised the bar of, of uh, people's perceived self-righteousness. Many people in Jesus' day uh, thought highly of themselves. Um, they looked at the law of God and thought to themselves, well, I can do that, I can do that, and I can do that. They looked at God's law and said, essentially, nailed it. Uh, however, uh, Jesus came in the Sermon on the Mount and raised the bar uh, for people in such a way that it stopped people uh, in their tracks. And so this morning we're going to jump back in to the Sermon on the Mount. And this passage that we're going to look at is particularly uh, difficult. And so I want to preface our passage with just a few reminders as we receive God's Word this morning. Uh, the first reminder that I have for us as a church family is that Jesus oftentimes makes us uncomfortable. Uh, Jesus oftentimes makes us uncomfortable. He, he brings comfort to us, uh, but one of the things that He does first is He makes us uncomfortable. And the reason that I say that is because the passage that I'm about to read this morning uh, might make some of us uncomfortable. Uh, secondly, uh, Jesus oftentimes will convict us in order to change us. Uh, oftentimes, God does this in our lives. He convicts us. The Spirit of God moves in our hearts in such a way that we are confronted with our humanity, and He does that so that He might change us, so that He might form and shape us into the image of Jesus. And I believe that our passage uh, does that this morning. Uh, and lastly, the third reminder is that Jesus invites us uh, to be active participants in our transformation and not simply passive observers. Right? God invites us to be active participants in our transformation and not simply passive observers. So with that, uh, brace yourselves and turn, if you would, uh, to Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 27. Matthew chapter uh, 5 uh, beginning in verse 27. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, uh, you can certainly follow along on the screen or the YouVersion app. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, uh, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, uh, tear it out and throw it away. Uh, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Uh, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Well, if you are here this morning and you are a guest, uh, you might be wondering, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> Perhaps this wasn't the best Sunday to visit. Uh, if you are part of the Christ Point family, uh, you might be thinking to yourself, what have I gotten myself into? Uh, Perhaps this was not the Sunday to come. Uh, and if you are online watching at home, uh, perhaps you have already turned the station to start watching Meet the Press on NBC. 
Uh, after hearing the passage, you might be thinking to yourself, I don't know if I want to hear anymore. I would like to uh, rather move on to something more pleasant. And yet here uh, we are facing uh, the words of Jesus. His disciples, not specifically his 12, but his followers have gathered and he's preaching to them of this word and he says to them, uh, you have heard it said, uh, you shall not commit adultery. Six times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, begins by saying, you have heard it said. Uh, he is reminding his primarily Jewish audience of quite honestly what they already know. Uh, this was one of the Ten Commandments. People uh, would not have been surprised or caught off guard uh, by these words when Jesus says, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. There were likely many people in the crowd that day that were nodding their heads, going, Yes, we know, we know. We've heard it, we've heard it before, Jesus. But Jesus is, is going to go on and He's going to build upon what was already familiar to the people and paint a fuller picture of what it looks like to have a heart for God. But he begins here, this section on sexual purity. And Jesus said, you shall not commit adultery. I would suspect if we were to take a survey this morning, and rest assured, we're not, but if we were, uh, most people would agree uh, with that statement. You shall not uh, commit adultery. Uh, most people would agree that marriages that are built upon dishonesty or infidelity or unfaithfulness uh, don't have a lot of staying power. Adultery is not an ingredient uh, for success in a healthy uh, marriage. I've been pastor now for 20 years, and over the course of that time, I've, I've never looked at a happy and healthy older married couple and said to them, what's the secret to your success? And have them say to me, unfaithfulness. There's something intrinsically in our hearts where we know that that, that is not a good thing. Author Tim Chalice in his article, Six Reasons Why, Why Adultery is Very Serious, uh, discusses some of the pitfalls and the fallout of adultery. He notes that adultery is turning away uh, from a promise. Ever have someone break a promise to you before? Do you, you ever have someone tell you something and say to you, you can count on me? I wouldn't lie to you. I'm true to my word. Only to have them not be true to their word? You've experienced the fallout of that before. There's a ripple effect that takes place when we don't fulfill our promises to one another. Uh, secondly, adultery leads, to, uh, leads the unfaithful from security to chaos. Uh, life is never the same. There are challenges that are introduced into a relationship that were not there before. Right? Oftentimes a couple is left uh, picking up the pieces of their broken hearts and, and trying their very best to make uh, something work. There, there can be healing 
but it's not the same. Number three, adultery is secretive and dishonest. Adultery loves darkness, but we as the people of God are children of light. There is a way of living when you are unfaithful, where you have to cover your tracks, where you have to make sure people don't find out where you've been or what you've done or what you've said, where you were. And there's always this feeling of, am am I going to be found out? And and when when you look back to Genesis, you see people operating in this way. And number four, adultery destroys the adulterer. It erodes one's character and integrity. Doubt enters into a life, and even when healing takes uh, place, the impact is felt uh, for, forever. Um, number five, adultery damages the fabric of society. Adultery stirs up hatred, dishonesty, distrust between individuals and families. And number six, adultery hurts uh, children. When chaos, hurt, and confusion are introduced into society, the effects on kids are felt in profound ways. We oftentimes respond by saying things like, kids are tough, uh, kids are resolute, and those things are true, uh, but kids are also kids. Right? And children are children. And they experience uh, the fallout of our uh, decisions. Uh, but adultery, all those things are true, but adultery is not only wrong simply because it is unwise. Adultery isn't wrong simply because there is a fallout to it, And people live with the consequences. Jesus isn't calling the audience um, to do a cost-benefit analysis when considering how they should live their lives. He's not given them 15 reasons or 10 reasons or 7 reasons or 5 reasons uh, why they shouldn't do this. Uh, He is, however, um, opening their eyes uh, to the holiness and goodness of marriage and of God. Uh, in the Bible, Scripture teaches that God designed a marriage and it is a way that, that we as people reflect, or show off, or demonstrate uh, the love that Jesus has for the church. And so our, our earthly marriages are to be defined by fidelity and faithfulness and love and grace and mercy, because those are the very characteristics that mark God's love for His people. And so our, our, our marriages are to reflect or to display uh, God's goodness. Marriage is a covenant. A covenant was a way that uh, people defined relationships. It was something that people looked to and said, hey, we are going to be faithful uh, to one another, because God has been uh, faithful uh, to us. And so, so Jesus is speaking to the crowd one day, and he tells them, do not commit adultery. God did not say this to be a buzzkill or to take away people's joy. The Trinity was not up in heaven one day talking amongst themselves, going, hey, what can we do to make life difficult or miserable for my people? Ooh, I have one, I have an idea. 
No, instead, God was creating a, a way of life that was designed for human flourishing uh, so His people could actually experience maximum joy in life, joy that was found in a faithful relationship uh, with God. So when Jesus says, do not commit adultery, you've heard it said, uh, the people very likely were shaking their heads. But what was interesting is that that wasn't Jesus' main point. I know we just talked about it for a few moments, uh, but, but Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus goes below the surface and digs a little deeper. And so for the crowd, if they were there listening to His words and thinking to themselves, I know it's bad. I can't believe anyone would do that. (laughs) Shame on them. I'm glad I haven't done that. Jesus continues and says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. (laughs) Well, that's a game changer. Perhaps the crowd who moments ago were feeling uh, pretty self-righteous I feel a little uncomfortable because Jesus is casting a much wider net of what it looks like to be faithful to Him and to one another. Jesus here is exposing uh, the core issue of uh, the human heart. It says everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent. Our our English word uh, to look can mean multiple things. It, it can simply mean uh, to, to glance. Like you, you look and you, you see someone. I see people this morning. You look, you look around, you look over your shoulder. You're just looking at people. Jesus isn't talking about that. There's another word that we use that's probably closer to what Jesus had in mind. It's the idea of of staring. And, and staring for a particular reason uh, with intent. I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, and, you know, this is a good place to be honest, I mean, we know what he's talking about, right? If, if you've been on the receiving end of this before, ladies, if you've, if you've felt this, the stares, the, un, the uncomfortable stares, you, you know what Jesus is talking about. Men, you, you know what Jesus is getting at, right? This is seeing someone looking at someone, staring at someone, and, and not not noticing someone's beauty or uh, or going, oh, sh- she's attractive or he's handsome. That's not what Jesus is talking about. 
Jesus is, is talking about looking at someone who has been created in the image of God and has value and worth is a child of the King. And instead of honoring them and honoring their Maker, looking at them as a tool to satisfy your passion or your desire or your longings. Someone is is no longer a person created in the image of God. Someone is a means uh, to your end. Someone is uh, mentally in in your mind, someone to be used uh, by you uh, to satisfy your own personal cravings. You see why why this is so wrong, right? I mean, this is the dictionary definition of abuse. I'm, I'm going to see someone, I'm going to notice someone, I'm going to look at someone, and I'm going to use them. I'm going to use them. And when I'm, when I'm done with them, I'm going to discard them. abuse, it's covetousness, it's I, I want something that I don't have, but I want it. And so I'm going to figure out a way here uh, to get it. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's a bit naive to assume that this is only an issue uh, with the guys, with men. However, Jesus here is addressing the dudes. He's he's addressing the men. Men, this is written uh, to us. Verse 28, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, We live in a country that has has made sex into a a multi-billion dollar industry. Billion. With with a B. I don't don't know in the course of human history if, if any nation or country or people have taken what God created as good uh, to, to be enjoyed within boundaries that He set and have just run rampant with it. We, we look at these things as a people, and this, when I say we, I, I mean like Christ, Christians even, believers, people who, who claim to be followers, of Jesus, and we just think to ourselves, there are things that are socially acceptable or normative. Uh, some people even argue that, that some of these things are liberating or empowering. Uh, it's so ingrained in our culture that we can't get away from it. When I mean, we can't get away from it. You drive down the road, you go to the mall, like you read 
the, the paper online. I mean, it's everywhere. And, and because it's so common, oftentimes we just say to ourselves, "Well, this is—I mean, this is just the world we live in. Can't, you can't get away from it. It's—it's it's normal. It's expected. It's typical." In many circles, it's socially acceptable, but it's not acceptable in the kingdom of God. It's it's not. Like like kingdom people don't live this way. We don't abuse people. We honor them. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 verses 37 through 40, the great commandment. This should be familiar to us. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. It goes without saying, but using someone to gratify your or our own longings and desires is not loving. And we can agree upon that, right? And that, that, that is not loving God. It's not uh, loving others. Jesus is intolerant of people created in the image of God using other people uh, created in the image of God uh, to gratify their own uh, twisted desires. He does not want us uh, to live that way. And so, if that's true, and I believe that it is, how do we, in this culture that's just saturated by by that kind of thinking and living, how do we respond? This is how Jesus calls us to respond. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is not suggesting self-mutilation. If he was, if he was, we would have a global church of left-handed pirates. Sin is an issue of the heart. The heart. We can put on a blindfold and while that may be helpful at times, it doesn't change the human heart. What is Jesus saying here? Jesus at the very least is saying that, that sin is serious business. It's serious business. And, and, and we should approach it as such. It's, it's not a joke. We oftentimes in our, in our conversations uh, may say or ask someone, hey, what's your, what's your guilty pleasure? You ever said that before? Has anyone ever asked you that? Hey, what are you, what are you watching on TV? What's your guilty pleasure? Do you ever stop just to think about those words? I know a lot of times we don't mean anything by it, but just, I mean, just the, just the thought of that. 
guilty pleasure. There, there are not areas of our lives or our hearts that, that God, through His Spirit, does not want to penetrate. There is nothing in, in our lives where, where we can kind of keep it close to the vest and, and say to the Lord, you can have my living room, but you can't have my bedroom. Like, He wants it all. He wants everything. He wants everything. Jesus here, in, in calling the people to, to live like this, is reminding them that sin is serious business. And because it is serious business, followers of Jesus should be serious about addressing a sin in their hearts. We, James, needs to be very serious about confronting and waging war with sin in James's heart. Christ Point family, we, we need to be serious about waging war against sin in our hearts. So what does that look like in, in this context? We're, we're talking about lust, talking about looking at another human being and using them to, to gratify or satisfy our own longing and desires. What does it look like to, to live in such a way that we're willing to go to extremes to cut off sin by the power of God's Spirit, but to cut off sin in our hearts and in our lives. I wrote these down this week. It may look, may. These aren't going to be posted on the front door. I'm not putting these on our website. Just, just thinking about these things. It may look like Sometimes in our lives dealing with the inconvenience of not having a smartphone because unfettered access to the world wide web is not good for our souls. It may look like choosing not to be on social media because the information and content coming in stirs in us desires that we can't control, and so it's better for us to simply step away. It may look like setting up filters on your devices, your computers, or your iPad, or your iPhone, to, to guard against images or things that may come your way that you're not even looking for, but still are just flying in your face. It may look like making a decision not to watch certain movies or shows because scenes or images can become like a mental catalog in our minds that we access whenever we desire. It, it may mean, it may, 
coming alongside a, a trusted brother, men, or women, a trusted sister, one or two, to hold you accountable, to go here. This is where, this is where I've been. Here's my, like, this is where I visited. Like, take a look. It, it may look like coming alongside someone else and allowing them to ask you difficult questions and you actually being honest with them. It, it may not mean that you're confessing because you've done something dumb, but because you want to do something dumb. And that scares you. Like I, I see some of these in, in, in my own life, and there, there are just certain things that I cannot do. There's certain things that I cannot watch. Certain shows that everyone else in the world, it seems like, is watching. And it's, and it's not because I'm super spiritual. It's because I feel like I'm a bad decision away from losing everything. And, and if you think that you are above the fray, that you are untouchable, that you can go where you want to go and see what you want to see and do what you want to do, man, be afraid. Just be afraid because there's an enemy in the Christian life. There's an enemy and he seeks to take you out. And if you get cocky, if you get cocky, he will. Maybe you hear some of those suggestions this morning and it conjures all sorts of thoughts or feelings or ideas uh, in, in your mind. <laughs> like maybe you're thinking back to when you were growing up and at youth group, everyone made you put your Death Leopard CD or mixtape into the fire because it was bad and you know, I can't listen to that anymore. I can't do that. Maybe, maybe even suggesting those things to you comes across as legalistic and you're going, oh, James, don't give us a list. Don't give us a list. <laughs> I'm not trying to give you a list. I'm not. I will tell you that Jesus said to a gathered crowd one day, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than have your whole body go into hell. That sounds intense. That's Jesus, the Savior of the world, saying, hey, if you need to take drastic measures, take drastic measures. The great reformer Martin Luther said, you cannot keep from birds flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. In other words, I mean, temptations come our way. can't avoid it. We're human. Uh, but we can't avoid cuddling up to it and welcoming it in. Birds are going to fly. They don't need to build a nest in your head. 
right? And maybe you're thinking to yourself, James, I, I mean, I get the adultery thing, you know, running off on a spouse, being with someone, sleeping with someone who's not your husband, not your, your wife. I get that, but, but I mean, it's just the mind. I mean, it's, and nobody's really hurt, right? I mean, that, <laughs> our, our thoughts uh, flow from our hearts. And God cares about our hearts. Your, your desires, my desires, uh, drive our decisions. And our decisions, your decisions, and my decisions, in large part, determine who we become as a people. And so if we operate in such a way that we think what takes place here is nobody else's business, um, it it will not end well uh, for you or for me. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like God is moving you to take a step set something up on your internet or your phone or your computer to invite someone into your world to hold you accountable, to, to have someone on speed dial that you can text or call. And you, that, that's your step this morning. You're going, I, I want to I move uh, towards that. If, if that's you, I want you to know that God, God loves you and God invites you uh, to, to come to him. God changes people. He changes people. Uh, he changes his people to reflect his son Jesus, and he, and he does it all of the time. But if you're here this morning and, you, and you're wrestling through this and you, and you hear that, I want you, you to know that you can set up as many safeguards in your life as you possibly and humanly can, and maybe you should. But until we do business with God here and he begins changing our hearts, then ultimately our, our actions, what we, what we do, um, may change for a minute, but very likely it won't have lasting effects or consequences. Right? So, so you, me, we can come before the Lord and, and just confess that to him. Again, confess, Lord, I, I need your help. This hits home for me. Would you help me? Would you change me? I, I confess uh, and I repent. Or maybe you're here this morning and you need to leave this morning and get in your car and before you roll out, you need to talk to a friend, you need to, to research something for your phone or for your computer, but I uh, encourage you, uh, to, to take that step. Uh, you'll be glad that you did. You'll be glad that you did. Um, let, me, let me pray for you. Uh, you pray for you, and I want to pray for you, and pray for, uh, for me too, would you? Let's pray together. Uh, just take a minute right now, and, and, and like I said, you, you pray for you. And just spend time with the Lord and ask Him to continue to work in your heart and in your life if He's doing that right now. God, I pray for I pray for us. I pray for uh, Christ Point family. 
Uh, for those who are here this morning, for those who are watching at home, uh, Lord, I, I pray that we would, we would be a people of integrity, that we would be a people uh, who honor uh, those created in your image uh, with the things not only that we say and do, but even the things that we think. Lord, I pray that you would give us as a people uh, clean hands and pure hearts. Lord, I, I pray that we would make a covenant, an agreement with you that we would not be uh, abusive in our relationships and how we view uh, one another. Lord, for times when we start to to feel pretty good about ourselves and pat ourselves on the back, thank you for reminding us of of the high bar that you have set uh, for your people. And simultaneously, Lord, thank you that because of the power of your spirit that you really do change people in such a way that, that we can live lives that are, are pleasing uh, to you. We give you thanks this morning. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.